1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Cheryl. In the last few days, I helped uh, drive to the Willard Tournament. I tried, uh, helped drive the dance team there, and we were on our way back on Friday night. And we're in North Springfield, and we're at a gas station there. And there's a McDonald's in this gas station, so we're in line for McDonald's. There's this guy that comes, comes in, and he says, Hey, who knows how to get to Bass Pro? Um, nobody answered. So I thought, oh, this is my cue, I guess. Okay. I said, yeah, I, I think I can get you there. Uh, you just go down this street uh, for a long way, hit Sunshine, take a left, and I think it's Campbell, and uh, it's at the corner of Campbell and Sunshine, and it's so big, you're not going to miss it. I think he had heard that line before, because he said, want to bet, right? Um he said, just give me an hour, I'll probably be right back here. And uh, I said, no, 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 really, it is that big. Like, surely you're not gonna miss it. And, and yet, how many of us have missed things that people have said to us, you can't miss it, and, and then we do, right? And that is Christmas for some. Christmas is a thing that is so big, it's so on, on so many people's minds. Um, and yet, at the very same time, we can miss it we can drive right by it and that's what our series is about how to miss christmas because in the text that we're looking at there are people who really do miss christmas as big as it is they just drive right by and we need to discover why so that we can avoid those things and so we're in Matthew chapter 2 and last week we were in Luke and Luke's version of the christmas story is much different than Matthew Matthew it just jumps right in. It's, there's great economy in his words. There's no stable, there are no shepherds, there's no angel choir, there's no manger. Uh, it just starts out right away. Now, after Jesus was born, there, there it is. There's the Christmas story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We talked about last week that uh, the prophets in the Old Testament Pointed to this place, Bethlehem, that was going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. And so when David's descendant comes into the world to pick up his kingdom and take his throne, it will be in Bethlehem where he is born. But, and so Matthew says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, but the problem is this king that's going to take David's throne is born into a world where there's already a king. Matthew says, there's Herod, the king. He was born in the days of Herod, the king. And so Herod is, uh, this particular Herod is Herod the Great. As you read the New Testament, there are three other Herods. It's very confusing, so you have to keep them all straight. Uh, this Herod is Herod the Great. He was, uh, he was in charge of Bethlehem and Galilee and Judea. Uh, he is a descendant of Esau, which means that he's not fully Jewish, He really doesn't have any claim to the throne, but he is appointed to the throne nonetheless by Rome in 40 BC, and then he ends up dying in 4 BC, and that's his life. And some of you who are paying attention in the overflows are doing math, and you're saying, whoa, 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 wait wait a minute. Herod is alive when Jesus was born, but Jesus born uh, is what we, his birth is what we uh, base our calendar on. So his birth was zero but how can he be alive when Herod is alive if Herod was born or Herod died in 4 BC? And to those of you who are doing that kind of math in the overflow, I say, well done, good job, good job. And let's just chalk it up to this. Some dudes in the uh, Middle Ages just got it wrong, okay? That's it. Uh, Jesus was probably born a six or seven-ish BC. And so if you're keeping track and you wanna update your calendar, it should be like 2026 this year. So if you want to make that change, more power to you. Um, but the the big takeaway here, the essential information about Herod is this: that he called himself the king of the Jews. And into this kingdom, wise men come from the east, verses one and two. And we know they, they show up in Jerusalem and they say, we know that the king of the Jews has been born. We saw his star in the sky and we have come to worship him. So where is he? And the implication as they walk into Jerusalem, into Herod's kingdom, he's the king of the Jews, is guess what? We know there's a real king of the Jews, and it's not you. It's somebody who really deserves that title, not somebody who just calls himself the king of the Jews. And in verse three, Matthew says, Herod was troubled. That's understandable. He was distressed. He was afflicted. He was knotted up inside. Herod is jealous because he doesn't want competition for his throne. More on that in a second. Verse four says that he gets all of his advisors together. He gets all of his theological experts together. And he says, tell me what's going on because these wise guys from the East have come in and they're saying this, what, what do you guys say? And in verse five and six, they open up all of their books and they look in the Old Testament prophecies and they say, oh, well, look at that, I think they're right. The Messiah is gonna be born in Bethlehem. And so if they wanna see the Messiah, I guess they should look in Bethlehem because that's what our books are telling us. And so in verses seven and eight, Herod sets a plan in place. He calls the wise men to him. He says, my experts have ascertained that this Messiah that you're looking for is going to be born in Bethlehem. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go there and I want you to find him. I want you to search for him. And when you find him, after you do what you're going to do, you come back to me and tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him as well. Now, This wasn't really what Herod intended to do at all. It was a really clever deception. His real plan was to kill this baby who was going to be the Messiah and erase the threat to his throne. So verse nine, the wise men go on their way. They pick up the trail of the star. It leads them to Jesus and where he is. And verse 10 just means that they're super excited about all of this. And verse 11, they stumble onto the scene and it is nothing like the nativity sets that we set up. Nothing. Matthew says, they walked into a house. And Matthew says, there's, uh, there's not, sh- not any shepherds there. There's no animals there. Joseph isn't even there. He's out on a diaper run or something. It's just Mary and Jesus. And these wise men fall down and they worship Jesus as king. And they open up their treasures and they give him gifts. They give him gold and frankincense and myrrh and they do what they came for, which was to worship him. And God After they do that, God warns them about Herod's plans. He says, hey, you need to beware of Herod because he's actually planning to kill this baby. And so they go home on another road. Let me give you a sermon in a tweetable sentence that you can chew on this week. It is this, once God starts talking to you, you never take the same old roads. That's true. And that's what the wise men experienced. But there are main characters in the story, and the main characters are Herod and the wise men. And so that's who we need to focus on today, just for a few minutes. Here's what we need to see in Herod, that he is not ignorant, he is not unaware, he's well-informed, he's knowledgeable, he has all the facts, and all the facts about this new king of the Jews trouble him because he's not a fan of another king of the Jews because that's what he was. And another king of the Jews means lots of competition. Now, his grip on the throne to begin with was very tenuous, um, His grip on the throne rested primarily on his family name. The reality is, Herod didn't deserve the throne that he had. He wasn't fully Jewish. There's no bloodline, there's no claim that he has to the throne. And it turns out that his father had done some incredible favors for the Roman Empire, and in return, that family, the Herod family, was given the right to rule Judea, but it was still under the thumb of the Romans. And I don't know if you've ever been in this kind of situation where you have a position, but you really don't belong there. Well, that's where Herod was. And when you're in that spot, you tend to go overboard to prove that you belong there. And that's what Herod was doing. And news of a real king meant that his supremacy was being challenged and he was troubled. He was disturbed by that. And the root of that word has fear in it. There's fear underneath this word troubled and disturbed as its foundation. And that's what Herod is. He's afraid. He's paranoid. We could say it this, this way today. Herod was scared of what he might lose. Herod was scared of what he might lose, and he missed the Messiah. He missed Christmas because he was desperately wanting to keep control and to remain king. He wasn't about to let somebody else rule over him, and that's all about distrust, Here's Herod saying, I can't trust that this new Messiah has my best interest at heart. And from Herod's point of view, this baby, this king of the Jews, isn't really worth, worthy of worship. And so we could say it this way. It's about distrust for Herod. And Herod is saying to himself, this king isn't really worthy of worship. He's thinking, I'm more worthy than Jesus is. I don't even know this baby, but I can rule better than a baby, right? I am the real king. Nobody's sitting on the throne except me. And when you believe that you're the only king, that your kingdom is primary to every other kingdom, it puts you on a certain path. It's not surprising to read about the path that Herod was on and where that took him in the end. Herod was throughout his life, a man of great suspicion, Um, Herod, in his older years, was known as a murderous old man. He murdered his wife, he murdered his mother, he murdered his oldest son, and he murdered two other sons. Augustus, uh, Caesar, that we talked about last week, Caesar Augustus, once said of Herod that it was more safe to be Herod's pig than it was to be his son. Because if you were a son, you would end up slaughtered. When Herod knew his death was getting near to him, he had a group of very elite citizens in Jerusalem arrested and imprisoned. And he left the city with these orders. He he said to his people, the minute that you hear that I have died, I want you to put all of those people that we've imprisoned to death. And the reason he did that was so that some tears would be shed the day that he died. That's Herod. Herod has no problem killing his own flesh and blood to save his own kingdom. And Listen, we we tend to hear a story like that and, and we say, oh, that's because he was rich and powerful. That's because he had the throne. That's because, you know, we blame the position. But the reality is, we are right there. We are right there. We, we do pretty rotten things when the goal, we have the goal of remaining our own king. And we can't look at a text like this and just blame the throne and the position and say it doesn't apply to us. That, that, we can't do that. This absolutely applies to us. All of us are guilty of wanting to rule our own kingdom and rule our own hearts. And when we do, well... Parents have been guilty of destroying their children emotionally and physically. Husbands and wives have been guilty of abusing one another when we rule our own kingdoms. Corporations have been guilty of profiting at the expense of their workers. We could mention politicians who will do anything to stay in office uh, no matter what the consequences are to others, and then we could absolutely point out gossips, right? Who destroy reputations in other people because they want to make themselves feel more secure on the social ladder. And what is the root of all of those things? It's me wanting to rule my own kingdom. And here Jesus comes into the picture and and he's born to us. And he says, I would like to rule your heart. Would you just give me your heart so that I can rule your heart? And if you do, I will give you what you're already looking for in all of those other places that won't deliver what you're looking for. And we stand back and we say, "Ah, no, thanks. I'm not sure that I trust you. I want to stay my own king. Uh, and we, we miss it. We miss Christmas. When you're afraid of what you might lose, you will miss Christmas. The good news today is that there's a character in the text, there's some some players that don't miss Christmas. Herod was scared of what he might lose, but the wise men, on the other hand, are sure of what they will find. They're sure of what they will find. Um, Some notes that are fun about the wise men, they were most likely scholars who were students of the stars, They were known as men of holiness, men of wisdom. They could interpret dreams. And there's really, from the text, from the biblical text, there's no reason to believe that there are three. We just have kind of that's a thing of legend. We just assume that there are three of them. There may be more, maybe less. Uh, We can't assume from the text that they were kings, and we can't assume from the text that we know their names because we don't. Uh, What we do know is that they were from the east, probably Persia or Babylonia. And what they do is they study the stars, and so they look at the sky and they're seeing some strange things happening in the sky, and they study those things. They believe at the end of the day that it's pointing to something big happening in the area of Judea and Jerusalem. Maybe a king is being born, and that's what they come to believe and they feel like it's worth a trip to Judea to find this new king. And it's astonishing to me, and I think it should be to you, that men with so little to go on would go on a trip like this and engage this kind of peril. But they do because they are so sure of what they will find. They're so sure that when they roll into Jerusalem in verse one and two, it's not, hey, uh, do you guys happen to have a new king around here? No, 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 it's not that, it's, where is he? Where is the new king that has been born? Because we saw a star. And it's this star that is their evidence, and there's a lots, of, uh, there are lots of ideas about what this star is and what it means Um, There are lots of theories. I think the best one that I've stumbled upon is that there's actually an alignment of planets around seven BC that would have produced things in the heavens like the wise men are pointing to, okay? But no matter what's happening in the sky, the real message to us about the star is its role. And here's its role. The star only got the wise men to Jerusalem. That's it. If they had relied solely on the star, they never would have gotten to Jesus, just to Jerusalem. They would have been in the right neighborhood with the wrong address. It would have been like uh, being in a huge hotel where all the doors are the same and forgetting your room number. Anybody? Oh my goodness, what do I do now? I don't remember. There's uh, hundreds of doors. Uh, Should I go down to the desk, how do I prove that I am who I am? There are all kinds of things going on there, right? They needed more guidance than the star could give them. And, but, but look where the star does lead them. It leads them to men who open up what? The scripture, scripture. It leads them to scholars who look at scripture and provide the exact location where the Messiah would be born, right out of the Jewish scripture. Now, that's a good takeaway for us. In your life, I need you to be very careful about signs and stars that pop up. Some of us claim that we have a sign from God, or we have a certain star that is telling us which way to go. I'm not going to dispute that God has given you a sign, okay? I'm not gonna do that. What I am going to stress is that I need you to remember that that sign that you think is from God will never lead you somewhere that scripture doesn't go first. It will always lead you back to scripture if it's from God. And after they learn from scripture, this star pops out again. It's kind of an amazing thing in the text and it pops up as a confirmation to these wise men and then they go the rest of the way and they find Jesus. Only five or six miles outside of Jerusalem, this little town called Bethlehem, and they find him. And verse 10 says, they rejoiced with rejoicing with great joy. And Matthew can't overstate how happy they were to see this star that lined up with scripture, with scripture. And what we see when they get there is that they had come prepared. They had come prepared. The goal before they ever started the trip was worship, let's go to Jerusalem, let's go to Judea, let's find this new king and let's worship him. And they had thought through before they ever got there how they were going to worship this king. They come with gifts that are royal gifts. They are gifts worthy of a king, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I need you to see how significant those gifts were. Gold is the gift fit for a king. And that's what was in this uh, manger or that's what was in front of them, a baby who is going to be king. Frankincense was in constant use by priests in the temple. And this baby who is in front of them will grow up to become the ultimate priest, the one who will make final reconciliation between God and man. And myrrh was a spice used to embalm the dead. And the baby who is born to be king is also the man who is born to die. And in these three gifts, we see who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it cost him. We see who he is, that he is the king. We see what he came to do, that he came to reconcile man and God so that they could have a right relationship to one another. And we see what it cost him to do that, that he had to go to a cross, that he had to sacrifice his own life and die in our place. True worship is to give worth. To something. We could, we could rephrase it that way, that true worship is worth-ship. We're giving worth to someone or something. And that's what happens with these wise men. They bow down, they fall down, and they give worth to Jesus. They give their treasure because our treasure always goes where our heart goes. And these wise men, their hearts were bent towards Jesus and their treasure followed. So they come prepared with gifts. They also come prepared with a title. They roll into Jerusalem and they immediately label this baby the king of the Jews. They knew that he was special, that there were great things ahead for him. And here are here are men who are probably maybe kings themselves if we are to believe the legends, uh, but surely they are at least men who didn't need to bow to anything else and they Yet, they, they aren't going to let their own kingdoms get in the way of worshiping the true king. They were let, willing to let Jesus rule their hearts because they were sure of what they would find a king. How different that is from Herod who said, Mm-mm, uh-uh, not letting that guy rule me. The wise men said every day, all day long, and it's all about trust. They trusted Jesus that this king of the the Jews really is worthy of worship. And they pursued what they knew to be true with all of their power. They sought this king wholeheartedly and they worshiped only him. It's notable that when they rolled into the house, they didn't worship Mary or Joseph. They just worshiped Jesus alone. And wise people still do. This guy that needed to find his way to Vast Pro, I wanted to pull out my phone and uh, take it out from my pocket. And I realized that I'd left it in the van. And I wanted to be able to, because he wasn't the Googling type, let's just say that, okay? And I wanted to pull up Google Maps. And I wanted to show him exactly the route. And I wanted to show him where he would end up. Because if you can show the person where they will end up, it's a lot easier to follow the directions. And the wise men knew where they were going to end up. And it's the same with us. When we're sure of what we'll find in the end, it's easier to follow God wherever he leads. And here's what God has given us. He's given us a great gift in that he's shown us the end of what happens when we follow one kingdom or another. He's shown us the end of our own kingdom when we let ourselves rule our hearts, and he's shown us the end of his kingdom when we let Jesus rule Our hearts. And it's here in the text. Look at verse 16. It's not in your bulletin. You're going to have to scroll a few verses down. And we find that at the end of the day, Herod realized that he's been tricked by the wise men. They go by another road home, right? And he became furious and he sent and killed. All the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old and under in an attempt to kill this baby Messiah, Jesus, and then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Do you know what you'll get when you let your own heart rule? We'll get murder and death and weeping and tears will be the end of the story. Herod's kingdom brought tears. I want you to say tears out loud. One, two, three. Tears. Tears. That's the answer. Here's the question. What did Herod's kingdom bring? Tears. Tears. Verse six shows us the end of a different kingdom. The different kingdom is Jesus's. And Matthew pulls an Old Testament quote that we talked about last week from Micah chapter 5, and he quotes this as written in Micah except for the very last phrase. He writes about a ruler who would be born in, Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. He writes about the Messiah who will, who will be born there. And the end should read this way from Micah, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Is that what's on your screen? No. Matthew instead grabs a phrase from Second Samuel and squashes it together with the scripture from Micah. And by the way, that's not out of line, because Micah's prophecy is based on the second Samuel text, but he wants to emphasize something here, and so the end of it reads instead this way: "There's going to be a ruler that comes out of Bethlehem, who will shepherd my people, Israel? Jesus is a shepherd." Who will shepherd his people, who will lead them to water, who will feed them always. When they have wounds, he will heal them and he will guide them always towards more and more life. But it gets even better than that because I'm I'm talking about the end. And when I mean the end, I mean the ultimate end. We can turn all the way to Revelation chapter 7, where at the end of time, everybody is around the throne. And this is what John writes for us. And he says, In the midst of the throne, there is a lamb who's the lamb Jesus and in the midst of the lamb, of the throne there will be a lamb who will be there what's the word shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and look what happens god will wipe away every tear from their eyes remind me what did herod's kingdom bring tears Tears, murder, death, at the end of the day, tears. What does Jesus' kingdom bring? It brings a lamb, it brings a shepherd, it brings living water, it brings every tear wiped away. Do you see it? One kingdom brings tears, the other wipes them away. And what kingdom can I fully trust? That's the question. I'm going to call the band up while you contemplate that question. Can I trust my own kingdom? Can I trust that I will rule my heart in such a way that I will bring myself a tearless existence? Oh, if you're honest, no way. I can't guide myself that well, but Jesus can. Jesus is the shepherd who brings me always more life. Herod's kingdom, which is our kingdom too, always says this, you die so that I can live. And when we rule our own kingdom, that's what we're doing. We're pointing to everybody else and saying, you die so that I can live. Jesus' kingdom is different. It's exactly the opposite. Jesus' kingdom always says, I will die so that you can live. Herod's kingdom, our own kingdom will always be grasping. But Jesus's kingdom will always be giving and it's wise people who know the kingdom that they should fall in front of and worship. Father, we thank you that you have given us a king who loves us, who is for us, who will do anything so that we can have life. And he really did do anything. He went to a cross and sacrificed, sacrificed himself so that we could live. Father, help us to surrender to this baby, to this king, to this shepherd who will save his people. May we bow before this kingdom knowing that it's the only way to life. And may we truly worship him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, everybody said, amen. I'd like you to stand. We're going to worship one more song, and maybe you've never bowed the knee to this king. Maybe today is that day that you do that. We'll be up here. You come as we sing.